0: Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today we're talking about working with a co-designer. What it looks like to to work with somebody else on the team, so it's not just you trying to figure everything out for yourself, but having somebody right there uh, alongside you to create a game or to work through a game. And we got uh, Luke Laurie on the podcast today. Luke, appreciate you being here, man. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having me, Gabe. Happy to be here.
0: Absolutely. Luke is a, a game designer who uh, recently has published, or I guess is it out yet, or is it coming out? Energy Empire.
1: Well, as we speak, let's see, uh, Energy Empire officially, well, uh, Kickstarter copies have all shipped, and uh, it will be in retail stores tomorrow.
0: Oh, okay. And so we're recording this, what is today? December 5th right now, so December 6th it goes on sale. So by the time this podcast, if you're listening to this, uh, you can buy the game, so go buy it uh, it's a game that people are saying is really good. Richard Ham from over at Rado Runs Through has called it one of the best games of 2016, which congratulations on that, man. That's got to feel pretty good for people to say that kind of stuff.
1: Uh gives me the chills just thinking about it. <laughs> um, the idea of uh, being able to impress Rotto is uh, something I didn't even know I could uh, shoot for. But, uh, yeah, really excited about it. The game's in uh, worldwide distribution, so... It should either be in your stores uh, or it's uh, able to be ordered to be in your stores through distribution.
0: Excellent. We're, we're going to jump into that game and talk about it uh, in a little more detail in just a minute. But first, let's talk about your, your background. Look, how long have you been in the game design industry or working with games and, and creating new games?
1: Well, uh, uh, my day job is I'm a science teacher, and I've been doing that uh, 20 years. Um, and, uh, I've been playing games, uh, my whole life and, uh, writing Dungeons and Dragons adventures for something like 30 years. Uh, but actually getting into, um, really pursuing board game, tabletop game design with the intent of publishing has been, uh, just about five years. Uh, I recently did a piece, uh, over on the league of game makers where I write and do some editing, uh, that was kind of, uh, 10 lessons learned in my first five years Uh, as a game designer. So um, yeah, five years of design, and I have two published games, which uh, might not sound like much, but uh, it's amazing how much just those games and then the other projects that are on their way, uh, how much time it really takes to make a good game.
0: Yeah, so I think that's one of the things that people just don't realize going in is the amount of time you just have to throw at a project and the amount of time you spend in playtesting and uh, going to conventions and all these different things, it just it just takes a while. Give me the the average for your two games. Like how long did it take on average to get those uh, finished?
1: Yeah, um, I can give you three since uh, I actually have uh, I have another game that's I can call it 100% finished. Okay. It's in the hands of another publisher. Um, but the the first game, Stones of Fate, was a very light game, um, and it took about a year of Uh, design and playtesting and going to conventions and and then another year following uh, with development with a small publisher. Um, But that game, um, start to finish, probably took nearly three years. But part of that was also the first game kind of learning the whole biz and deciding how it was going to go. Should I self-publish? Do I want to reach out to publishers? How does pitching work? And all of that sort of thing. Uh, Second game, um, the Manhattan project, Energy Empire is a significantly bigger game, a much bigger undertaking. Um, Stones of Fate by comparison was a deck of cards, uh, 78 tarot cards, plus a few other extras from, uh, Kickstarter things. Whereas, uh, Energy Empire is, uh, is a big, heavy, I think it's like a four pound box, um, 500 plus components, um, dozens of cards, uh, well, I guess altogether, like over hundred cards, hmm. um, just all kinds of different aspects into that game. In any case, uh, about two years of design, uh, some extra development. And then, um, once it was in the hands of the publisher, uh, it was still about two more years still with, uh, them reviewing it, uh, going through the process of uh, signing and then uh, all the extensive development and then the publishing process. So it takes quite a while.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And,
1: uh, the, the My most recent project is interesting because that game, um, Well, I had all the ideas brewing for several months, when I put together the first prototype, it was so f- close to being done that from there... It was version one, A, B, C, D, E, F. And I never got to a version two before we actually submitted it to a publisher. And that game start to finish was only eight months. And it's actually a game nearly as large and heavy as Energy Empire, where it's a medium-heavy Euro. And that one is also co-designed uh, with veteran designer Tom Jolly. So he and I have actually have uh, two games under our belt.
0: Gotcha. And so that first game was was a solo effort. That was just you, right?
1: Well, it was me um, in terms of design credits, uh, but a lot of the work was together with Jeff Cornelius, who went on to start his own publishing company. So he started uh, Cosmic Wombat Games, and he didn't take any design credit on that, but uh, he was definitely there throughout that entire process going back and forth with me. So didn't do anything alone with that game either.
0: Gotcha. Would you consider him more of like in a development role, kind of a developer for the game?
1: Uh, so yeah, Jeff would be more considered like a developer, but, uh, at the time we didn't really have labels on what we were going to do or how we we're going to do it. You right. know, I came up with the idea, but from there we shot things back and forth. So he could have easily been considered a co-designer had we gone to another publishing house and, uh, and pursued getting it published that way.
0: Gotcha. 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 Well, let's get into energy empire a little bit. Uh, so you co-designed this game with Tom Jolly. Is that right? I'm saying that.
1: Correct. Okay. Yeah. Tom Jolly.
0: And uh, tell, me, tell me about, let's just kind of talk about the game first and then we'll jump into the, the co-design part. Tell me about the idea. Where'd you get the idea to create this game?
1: Sure. Um, well, when I first sat down, very initial concept, it was looking at um, some kind of industry, commerce, development game where your choices about how you produce energy would somehow um, affect your ability to be productive but also would affect the, the hazardous consequences that you would face. And so I, I wanted from the very beginning to have a game that would have um, difficult choices, where the difficult choices would be about how do you, how do you produce and how do you keep your economy turning, uh, keep the wheels of industry turning, but also um, what are you willing to live with? in terms of the adverse consequences of your choices. So I I love those kind of complex choices. I'm into science and I've uh, been into policy at various levels uh, in the past. And it's fine and dandy to talk about our ideals and what we would like in a perfect world, but those things don't exist. And so I like games where you make interesting and difficult choices where you don't have real clear paths right from the beginning about one linear approach to victory. So that was the initial concept for Energy Empire, and over time it evolved, and I started borrowing some ideas from some of my favorite games. I like Stefan Feld games, I like all kinds of worker placement games, I like tableau games, and I'm a huge fan of the original Manhattan Project game uh, by Brandon Tibbetts. So um, I brought in this um, uh, worker placement mechanic that's pretty similar in that you you place workers on the main board, and then following that you get to use cards that you've acquired in your tableau. Um, where I made it very different from the onset was with Energy Empire, there are three sections of the board. One section is for um, commerce, one section's for industry, and one section's for government. And depending on which of those three areas you play in on the main board, determines which types of cards you're able to use in your tableau. So you're building three different card tableaus, potentially, uh, to kind of work towards different aims as you go. But on top of that, there's another whole engine building aspect, which is in the dice and how you choose to produce the energy that you need to run all of these cards, all of this industry commerce and government. So you can build a huge tableau, but if you don't have the energy to run it, it's not going to actually be as productive as you'd like. And that creates interesting choices because we went with a mechanic for generating energy that does use dice. But the dice have um, it has some mitigation factors and that you choose how risky your dice approach uh, is in terms of the harm it can cause the environment with how much energy you potentially can produce. So you can roll a lot of oil dice uh, and nearly guarantee you're going to pollute your environment. You can roll some nuclear dice with the possibility of getting nuclear contamination. Uh, You can go with uh, green energy and um, you greatly reduce your risk of polluting, but you also reduce the efficiency by which you generate the energy. So it has all kinds of different choices in in that regard. Uh, You play one of 10 different nations every time you play uh the cards come out in random way there's random achievements to acquire so there's so many different variables in setup and um, possible permutations for the way the game can go that it's almost impossible for two games to be alike Um, in addition as uh, as the game goes on another um, interesting aspect is the pollution that is acquired throughout the game is the timer for the game as well. So when a stack of pollution tokens is empty, it triggers a global impact, which affects everyone. Um, Players can use various abilities of science to be able to peek at these global impact cards to kind of anticipate what's going to occur. Um, But as these uh, global impacts occur and the stacks of pollution become empty, eventually it leads you to the end of the game, which players actually have some control over the pace of the game Uh, the more the more rapidly you um, pollute the more quickly the game goes Um, if you are really kind of slow to produce and slow to pollute the the game takes longer you can kind of stretch out what you're trying to do but there's an inevitability that uh, keeps the game going and eventually uh, somebody's got to take that last token
0: Gotcha. Well, let's jump right into the 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 real reason we're here, talking about co-designing and working with co-designers. So, you worked on Energy Empire with a co-designer, Tom Jolly. And first of all, how did you meet him? Like, how did this relationship start? Was this like, anyway? Just kind of give me the 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 briefing on
1: that. Well, I've uh, uh, when I very first started getting the idea of designing a game, I I, I'm not shy, and I've introduced myself to a lot of uh, you know giants in the industry, uh, networked at Gen Con and. Uh, various other uh, conventions, Bay Area conventions, Los Angeles conventions, and so on. Uh, but it turns out veteran game designer Tom Jolly lives in the exact same town that I do. And uh, first time, first couple times I saw Tom, I was a little shy of even you know talking to him. I'm like, wow, that's that's Tom Jolly over there. Uh, uh, for those people who don't know, he designed Whiz War, Dracon, Cave Troll, Disc Wars. A whole bunch of other games. Um, he has, uh, you know, he's got smaller games, he's got bigger games. Uh, a bunch of his games have been published by Fantasy Flight over the years. And so he's he's a kind of designer who can take a game he's got and he can almost walk up to any publisher and submit it right there on the spot. And I came into this being the kind of person who um, I would be rejected no matter what I was holding in my hand. Um, and so I, it turns out Tom and I started talking at our local, uh, game convention, which is Polycon at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And it's one of the oldest conventions in the country. They've been doing a lot of, mostly they focused on Dungeons and Dragons for, um, most of their existence. Um, they're at like, they're over like 35 years now or something like that at this point. Um, In any case, uh, so Tom and I talked. He gave me a bunch of advice. Some of his advice was a little outdated, and it was also from his perspective of being someone who has pull, has leverage. So I couldn't really do things Tom's way exactly, Uh, but uh, he sat down and played an early prototype of Energy Empire. At the time, it was called Drill Baby Drill, (laughs) and we were playing Drill Baby Drill, and it had more of an oil emphasis back then, by the way. and. he fell in love with it right away. He's just like, I want to play this again. And I want to try it a different way. And I want to get this to work. And um, the game was pretty rough at that point. And so we started talking about it. And I said, hey, do you want to jump in on this with me and help me get this thing really nice? And then we'll take it to Gen Con and we'll pitch it. And uh, so we started working together. We started working together every week just about and throwing around a bunch of ideas via email and other ways. Uh, Tom has a great way of taking a look at anything you've got and questioning it. Um, But questioning it in a potentially productive way. Um, You know, sometimes you get random play testers who have brilliant ideas, and sometimes they'll just be like, well, why don't you just... And then their suggestion is in no way going to work. Not all of Tom's ideas work either, but... Tom is very, very creative about mechanics. Um, and that's part of what he's had a lot of success with, with almost each of the games that he's designed has a mechanic that he invented. He's not one of those people who has uh, is constantly re-implementing other people's stuff. And I've even heard him say something along the lines of like, well, I'm not going to do that because they already did that. They did something. So... Uh, so Tom is great. He's uh, has uh, you know, decades working in the industry. That's helped me a lot. And uh, that great mechanical mind. Uh, we also enjoy um, similar things. Uh, we went and saw Neil deGrasse Tyson speak one time. We're both into science. He's uh, uh, been working in aerospace and I teach science. Uh, we enjoy scotch and beer and <laughs> we consume that every time we get together. Uh, so we make the, the designing experiences, it's a social thing for us too. You know, I mean, we have to produce some kind of functional game to keep hanging out and drinking scotch.
0: Gotcha. Well, that's pretty good motivation then, huh? Yeah. (laughs) So it sounds, I mean, just you say co-designers, but it almost sounds like you've got two friends hanging out, making games together, which really appeals to me in a lot of ways if I could just sit around and drink some scotch and hang out with my buddies and then create really great games that sounds that sounds like a pretty good afternoon in my opinion
1: it is and uh, as long as we like come into it with something to work with um, and so a lot of times it it does take you know it takes a couple of weeks of putting some solid things together um, going back and forth uh, via email or whatever and then you know Fiddling with these things until we've got some something tangible to work with, and then we sit down and we hash it out. And uh, sometimes things work, and sometimes they don't. And um, we keep probing the questions. We uh, we finished uh, Energy Empire. We signed that with Minion Games, and um, um, it was actually uh, it was actually rejected by TMG first, um, which is a great story because uh, Tasty Minstrel they also rejected the first Manhattan Project. As well, and then uh, so minion minion scooped that up as quick as they could, and uh, and we worked with them to get the game till they were happy with it, um, and uh, and the games the game hasn't changed hugely, but it was such a year of really detailed refinement. So there are things that uh, that were good, nice, fun that are gone because. <laughs> the core of the game and the real the real focus of the game, um, I mean it's a big game, there's a lot there. Yeah, it's huge. And, and you focus the game on these on these different aspects and, and there aren't really any uh, distractions to take away from that.
0: Absolutely, something I've talked about in, in some other episodes is that last 10% of the game design can take forever and it can be so frustrating because you, you feel like you're so close but yet you might be so far, and you know, as you kind of rework things and really, uh, really jump in that blind playtesting, and you do all these things trying to make the game as best the best you possibly can. And sometimes you do have to kill kill things that you love, or kill things that are fun, but they're not as fun as they should be, or as fun as they could be. Um, that's another thing a lot of designers don't realize. You know, a lot of people they get to that ninety percent mark and they go, oh, we're good. This is good enough." And that's that's the difference yeah. between a game that sells 500 copies and and 50,000 copies is or 100 you know however many co- a billion copies however many is that last 10 and and not settling for less than excellent, um, absolutely. And so I bet working with Tom really helped. Helps you in that you know in that regard just kind of understand i can imagine working with somebody with so many years of experience and all that to pull from and draw from and industry ideas and all these things so let's talk about some of the big pros what what did you really gain from working with a guy like tom and then also just having a, a co-designer in general so tom brings certain things to the table because of who he is and what he's done but then also just that 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 teammate having that person in that role what did, what did you really gain from all, both of those things
1: well um, in addition to the the mentorship and uh, and the the kinds of um, helping me understand the industry uh, specifically with the design part of it is that every design you you kind of hit bumps along the way and there will be areas of every design that are weak and you don't always see them until you have a really critical mind attack it Hmm. Tom and uh, likewise I have several uh, several people who are in a design um, development group who, who play test almost all my games um, Tom and these people are all experts at abusing rules mm-hmm. and um, this is actually one of the things that I see as a shortcoming in, in a lot of games out there is the there's a lot of great Games. There's a lot of um, interesting ideas, um, but there's also a lot of games where they didn't test every aspect with the sense that it had to be treated like a science experiment or an engineering stress test. And And Tom is an engineer, and he will find that one thing that can be abused to destroy your game. And and he'll do it. And also, he loves doing it. And then he will complain loudly when you change the rule so that he can't abuse it anymore. <laughs> but that's what you have to do. You have to take that away. So um, in, in our initial kind of working together with Energy Empire, he kept finding various ways to abuse something. Usually it's something mm-hmm. that has um, kind of an iterative potential uh, to be destructive where if I do X every turn, what will happen? And a lot of people would say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that turn? Why would you take that same action every time? That's boring. Nobody's going to do that. Yes, they are. Everything that is possible with your game will occur. Yep. And it will occur with someone who is very vocal on Board Game Geek. <laughs> Absolutely. So they will break your game, they will abuse your yep. game, and they will tell the world how to do it. Yep. So you really have to run these things through a a really rigorous test. And sometimes we would sit down to designs and, um, with, a, with a prototype and say, look, we're going to look right now at – this one aspect, can the game be broken in this one area? And, uh, and what will the consequences be? And, and so we, we go to work at it like that. Um, I I'm not listeners may or may not be familiar with my writing, but I write a lot in the league of game makers. And, um, one of the pieces that I wrote that caused some of the most controversy was a piece a very lengthy piece on why mechanics are more important than theme. And I made my case about this and um, people who don't read the entire article usually attack it up front and say, well, you need to start with the theme and um, there's no game if it doesn't tell a good story and so on. And I address all those points in the piece. I actually almost always start a design with a theme. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it comes down to it, you really need to hone in on that, um, that work with those mechanics to really be able to make a game that's going to last. Mm-hmm. A game that isn't going to, by the third time, you feel like you've done it all. Or that you had that one trip up in the game where it left everybody with kind of a sour feeling and you're like, ah, were, my son is notorious for this too. My son has done this with several games on my shelf and he says, I'm never playing that again. (laughs) And he won't.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: He'll pick with as many games as there are out there. You've got to have something that every time they sit down on it, sit down to it, the mechanics are going to hold it together because it's true that we build something that can be seen as a work of art. And it should have art, and it should have story, and it should have immersive theme. But it's like a sports car, too. Yeah. And it's got to have the brakes and the suspension and the motor for it to be that thing of beauty that you're going to want to drive mm-hmm. and not just look at. Um, and that's, that's kind of how I see game design. And uh, I actually think Tom and I – Tom and I contrast each other just a little bit I think we're actually more similar in both our tastes for games and um, and how we approach the design process um, that said you know we both like story and thematic aspects and science fiction and fantasy and so on um, but we really want all those mechanical parts to work and work well every time
0: gotcha you know it's like you can build the prettiest building in the world, and from the outside it looks awesome and amazing. But if you haven't built a good foundation or, or done the the proper engineering you needed to do, or, or the arch, or the right architecture, whatever, and your building falls down, well now you just got a big pile of rubble. And so, you know, having a pretty pretty structure it's not enough. And um uh, yeah, absolutely, and I, I think you know a lot of times we. We we get caught up on the mechanics versus the theme and all that stuff, but what it's really about is that player experience. That's what it's really about, and and it's meshing mechanics that work really well and they're solid and all that with theme in some way. But is it fun? Is it enjoyable? Or or like you're talking about, are there things in the game that you can find break, you know, and then that leaves a sour taste in your mouth, kind of like with, with your son? There's, there's a couple of games that I've played that have been like that. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm done, you know. This little out, outlier case happened. And then it yeah. totally ruined it, and I came in last place by a hundred points. And like, yeah, I'm not playing again. And I'm sure I would never have that strategy or that that same outcome happen again. I would I would take a different strategy. I would make different choices. Whatever. I just don't want to play anymore. I don't I don't care. My experience, the player experience, it, it trumps the whole thing. It trumps the good mechanics. Trumps the good theme. Uh, so absolutely. So, what are what are some of the? I'm not going to call them cons, not pros and cons, because I, you know, I'm not like, hey, why don't you throw Tom Jolly under the bus and tell me what he's bad at? That's not what this is about. But what are some of the challenges of working with a co-designer? So not necessarily Tom himself, but just in general, having to split the creativity, or split the ideas, or split, you know, split the design.
1: Yeah, and you split the money. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That too. Um. So uh, Tom isn't the only person I've I've worked with or tried to work with. Um, So I've had partnerships that haven't succeeded. Um, I've had partnerships that haven't succeeded yet um, as well. But um, working with anybody is tricky. Um, I'm not necessarily sure that with board game design um, that. I'm well-suited to do it over a distance in terms of uh, collaborating with board game design with, with another person. Um, I've tried in a few examples and not had a lot of success. Where I have had success is when, I, um, when I'm working with Tom, he and I are able to sit down at the table and we can address issues hundreds of times faster than we might if we are kind of shooting things back and forth via email, shared documents or whatever. Um, and so I find that, that that face-to-face interaction is important for the collaboration. Um, I found that he and I both being so um, mechanically oriented has worked well for us. Um, in other partnerships that I've attempted I haven't worked quite as well. There's been more difference in personality and approach and consequently, we have, kind of have different goals, mm-hmm. um, uh, and the kind of the work process can be different. You can see kind of the sequence by which things need to occur differently. Um, that said, there's there there are cons to attempting collaborations. I think that I work better when I have someone who's really critical of all of my work as I go along, but also when I have someone who can really be a fan of something that I've produced when it's really good. So, um, that's worked really well with Tom and I, uh, I also have a whole bunch of people, um, who are in my development team who are perfectly honest. They will tell me when they don't like a game, they will tell me when they don't like a certain mechanic in the game. Um, Some of these people, uh, I don't know why I still hang out with them with as many bad things as they've said about my work. No, I'm just kidding. Um, they're awesome. They're also super good at games. Mm -hmm. I have some, some, uh, people who, who play test my games who they they beat me at pretty much every design I've ever done. Almost always. Um, the only, the only reason why I am competitive is because I designed a game sometimes, (laughs) um, so let's see. We're on cons of collaboration, cons of working together. I don't know. Uh, you want to ask me some uh, specific things? That yeah, I, I might not. Be well, thinking like one of?
0: thing in particular. Like, well, if you run into an issue or an idea, and you, you're kind of on two opposite ends. You know, one person uh, thinks red, the other one thinks blue. Yeah. How do you figure out? How do you come to that decision?
1: Okay. Uh, so there's a couple things. One, um, I find that usually in the partnerships where where I've been that have worked, there's a hierarchy. Um, one person's the lead designer, the other person's, um, a kind of assistant designer or something like that. Um, with two of the games that Tom and I did, um, I took the lead. They were my initial initial concepts. And so in some things, um, it's my call and Tom will grumble about it (laughs) and he'll grumble about it. And then sometimes it will be, the call is going to come down to the players. So this is, we, we take a look at how this can go. We attempt it. We put it in front of people and then we see what are you, how do they respond to that? Um, did it work? And so on. And so then we're able to take that feedback from the play testers and have that determine the decision over what we, um, what we preferred. And, there have been plenty of times where I've tossed something uh, that a co-designer has uh, has suggested I get rid of. There are other times where their ideas are tossed. And um, entire games don't make it. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's that's kind of the, the hidden side of this, is that um, we design way, way more games than ever see light of day. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of these games I even have fans of Uh, Taking them to protospiels and playtesting, and they fell in love with something that I'm sorry, I'm never going to make that. It's not going to happen. Instead, I moved on to something else and I used some of those concepts in a new design.
0: Gotcha. What about like, so at the beginning, when you're first deciding, hey, we're going to work together, uh, we're going to work on this game right here, what all do you talk about? What do you kind of do? Do you kind of sit down and say, all right, what are the goals? What are we trying to accomplish? What do we want this experience to be for this game for these players, or do you just kind of jump right in? Like, how do you um, structure it at the beginning?
1: Well, with uh, both Energy Empire and uh, Beyond Jupiter, those two games that we've we've done start to finish, those games existed almost as a whole before we decided to cooperate and collaborate on them. So it was here's the sh- here's kind of the skeleton of the game. We know we already know the target audience we know like the the level of play uh, the the core mechanics are all there now it comes down to how are we're gonna develop this uh, how we're we gonna work the the finer details what are the options uh, what are these different kinds of uh, abilities we could develop and then also how are we gonna um, proceed with getting this game published so Do we have a specific publisher in mind for this or how are we going to go about the process for pitching it? And so uh, we've settled that very rapidly um, with the the two games that Tom and I worked on. It's like, hey, Tom, you want to work on this with me? Yeah. (laughs) You want to send it over to that publisher there? Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) All right. Uh, Six months, eight months later, we did it. So. Gotcha.
0: Now, what do you... Do you think that, that that's the better way to do it to kind of have an idea or a game or a skeleton first? Is it, I, I feel like personally that would make it a lot easier as opposed to if I said, Hey, Luke, um, let's design a football game and then you come up with your ideas, I come up with my ideas, and we'll come together and we'll start figuring this thing out. I feel like there could, you could run into a lot of just issues, not to say like we're going to fight about it, but just, well, I think it should be an auction game and you, should, you think it should be a worker placement game and then it's like, well, say, well how do we figure out what it's going to be? Because it's so early on. You don't even have a game yet, really. You have an idea. And so is it easier to already have the game in somewhat, uh, the skeleton, like you said, the structure of it first?
1: Um, my sense is, yes. Um, uh, by the way, have you talked to the Bamboozle brothers yet? And are you planning on it? No, um, I haven't. I'd like Jay to. Jay and San, you mm-hmm. should definitely talk to them. I mean, they're... they're. Uh, their fame for being collaborators is—I uh, mean, they—they're incredible collaborators, very, very uh, uh, prolific. Um, I don't know exactly how they start, but I know they—they they know from the beginning they're going to work together on their projects, and uh, and they have a—they have a system that seems to work well. Mm-hmm. I find for me, um, what has worked is going into it with something pretty solid to start with. Um, I've got another um, project that I'm working on with another designer who kind of came to me with a skeleton and said, here's a skeleton of this, this design concept. Uh, let's work on some theme ideas. And if you want to join in with me on that, uh, we can do that. So I'm taking kind of a secondary role on that with, with this other designers, um, concept. And then I've had other projects where we're years into them and still kind of at square one because the concept is so abstract mm-hmm. that we have this kind of this dream we have this vision we have we have all these great ideas but what we don't have is we don't have um, we don't have a landmark to really um, to really kind of uh, focus all mm-hmm. the work on. Uh, yeah. That landmark concept comes from um, another piece on the League of Game Makers by uh, Stephen Devon, another designer member of the League. But uh, yeah, I think coming to another designer and saying, "Look, I've got this game, but it needs some work. Are you willing to help me put it over the edge to make this really a great game?" I think that's a great approach um, because you, one, you're not um, you're not putting too much obligation on that other person to kind of create a whole bunch that might be lacking. Yeah. Um, you're also you're also kind of uh, you're going into it with a pretty clear expectation of what you're creating. You, it's right here now. It comes down to how are we going to to refine this and make this make this uh, from a good game to a great game. Um, and then it can also it can really kind of Stimulate the ideas from that perspective, because the ideas will be focused in a particular direction, and not just uh, kind of random and all over the place. Um, you have you have places to put things if you already have a structure.
0: Absolutely. So basically, what what I'm what I'm hearing you say right now is I need to take my game idea and find Eric Lang's phone number, and then say, Hey, I got this idea. Do you want to help me with it? And then I'll be good. Basically, right.
1: Um and I I'd say sure. Um, what are the odds? <laughs>
0: what are the odds? Right?
1: It's, Blood Rage Two coming soon. No. You've got to you've got to also think about ways in terms of um who that person is mm-hmm. is, is going to matter so much. Where it's um I have this I have this game I have this concept and this other person really appreciates all of the factors that are in there but then they also have the creative mind to be able to add to and improve what you've done and be able to be a sounding board and uh, and a source of inspiration.
0: Absolutely. I think in your own story you sat down and first you played the game with Tom and then it became, you know, something more it became the relationship, the co-design yep. relationship. So sitting yep. down and playing with him first. You know, a lot of people they they just kind of shotgun things. This happens with publishers or whatever. It's, they don't take the time to research or really think about who they they just kind of throw it out there for the whole world and that's really just it's a lot of waste of time and so if you're wanting to co-design um, I think it's a lot better to identify someone for their particular talents their experience their expertise their love of certain mechanics or themes or whatever and then really approach them with with something bigger than hey I'm going to go ask 100 people if they'll help me co-design well it's like you're, going, you're wasting your time uh, with that I
1: haven't seen those kind of uh, desperate calls on the internet, um, yeah. basically just, uh, I'm looking for anyone.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, and that really makes people want to join your team, right? Oh good, desperation, that's the kind of team I want to be on. Awesome. But uh, well, let's kind of, let's just a follow-up question, you're talking about how someone approached you and now you're kind of the, the assistant, you're kind of the co-designer. What has been the difference between, now that you've been on both sides? You know, can you speak to the difference in the way you've experienced both sides?
1: Well, um, with, this, with this newer project that I've been working on, it's uh, Scott Caputos, who I'm working with, who designed Voluspa, which is this great tile-laying game. Um, Scott is uh, really mathematical. He's a, he's a brilliant mathematician. Um, but like all of us, he's also really diverse. He's a poet, too. He's a published poet. Um, I kid you not. And uh, so Scott has this great mind for like these kinds of spatial puzzles and manipulation and so forth. And so he came to me with a with a general concept of something that was both spatial and he wanted to look at it being kind of a euro uh, resource worker placement um, uh, kind of concept uh, without a theme. He didn't have a theme for it at all. And so We've been working on that one, and we we had uh, we had a rough prototype together for a proto We played it there for some people, and um, we found different parts that were working. Um, from there, I took it and I um, went and built a really nice prototype of things, and I worked on various ways of trying to get all the mechanics to be lean and kind of smooth. And um, I'm struggling there, and. I I think uh, so now it's, now it's back in Scott's hands and he's working on it some more and we'll see where it goes from there. But um, this one's a little tricky because we are at a distance. We're not able to see each other uh, uh, frequently. We're both pretty busy people too, as it is. Um, But because this is, this is primarily Scott's game. I feel more like I'm doing everything I can to help Scott create this vision. And, um, and ultimately, I'm I'm going to defer to his ideas and how to put this together and his his vision for for what he wants it to be, and it just gives puts me in a position of uh, you know trying to be as good of a helper right. as I can to that process, and also not to um, not to interfere with the with the process.
0: Gotcha. What are, what are some of the things you wish you had known going in you know, before you start working with a co-designer, and, and what, what kind of advice would you give somebody who's maybe thinking about co-designing a game?
1: Well, um, I think I've mentioned a couple of these. Uh, so one of them is uh, think about your personalities and whether or not you're gonna enjoy just spending time with this person, because it inevitably is gonna be a, a social experience. Um, look at uh, their reliability. And uh, whether or not you can you can count on them? Do they have enough time to devote to this project? Are they you know going through life changes? Um, is it someone who wants to design games because they got nothing else to do? Um, you you may you may run into tr- unexpected trouble when you don't have somebody who's kind of in a real kind of stable position. They know what they want and they know where they're headed. Um, think about. How I like the idea of having a hierarchy, having a kind of somebody take the lead. And I think that takes away some of that um, kind of uncertainty and tiptoeing around that can occur where uh, if you have two people who are on on equal footing, you may run into a situation where, yeah, you're not really sure how to proceed or you're not sure if these two ideas, you're both very strong-headed about a particular thing going a certain way, that could break your project. Mm-hmm. And, um, but another, another big one too is to keep in mind your ultimate path for the game. Um, if you have one person who's really intent on taking this and pitching it, taking it to um, publisher speed dating at um, Gen Con, or origins, or BGGCon, or you have somebody else who's really dead set on self-publishing. That's a terrible idea. Um, those two people shouldn't work together um, because your your concepts of what you're really trying to produce would be different, and also um, the the person who doesn't really want to go along with the Kickstarter is not going to be very helpful to a process that is incredibly consuming Mm -hmm. um so you've got to have an idea of where is this game going to go whose hands do you ultimately want it in um yeah so there's there's all kinds of things to consider and every kind of cooperative um co-design situation i'm sure is going to be different yeah i've never found working with any two people to be entirely identical but um, people with similar tastes, s- similar styles, um, communicate in similar ways. So you always know where the other person stands. Um, all of those kinds of things, um, very helpful to the process.
0: Definitely. And I think what you're saying is it's so crucial to be real upfront with the expectations. You know, if you, re- if you expect to go to Kickstarter, if you expect, uh, to, to pitch this to a publisher, like getting all those details out of the way on the front end, which is you don't have to worry about them on the back end. You don't have, you know, once the game's finished and once you've got all this stuff done, well, now, oh, now we need to make these decisions. Well, I don't I don't think the way you think. Well, all of a sudden, that's a problem. And that, like you're saying, that could totally break your project. I, all that hard work could be for nothing because it's something that you should have really gotten squared away on day one. Um, absolutely. Well, Luke, you got anything else to add as far as co-designing or anything like that?
1: Well, uh, I love designing. Mm-hmm. Um, I do design work, even without the idea that a game will ever get anywhere, um, I I do have more confidence and optimism in the work that I produce today. I have uh, have a pretty good sense of what I think is going to be good in the market and which of my which of my projects has uh, more more appeal and is more higher quality um, project. That said, my work most of my work fails. And uh, I've become pretty much okay with that mm-hmm. with this idea that I will I will get kind of excited about design I'll piece it together, and it isn't quite as good as I thought it was mm-hmm. or this really works, but it's not fun um, or this is fun, but it really doesn't work. Mm-hmm and if you are doing that cooperatively if you have a co-designer and you're along that path you both have to be okay failing you have to be okay failing together and um definitely a mistake that we can make in this field is trying to push something into the market that just isn't good enough and we have to recognize when you know this thing's a five Mm -hmm. In a world of nines, yep. and we really need to get something that's really high quality for it to kind of, you know, make a dent in the market. And ultimately, it is a market, and um, it isn't always predictable what's going to do well there. But we have to we have to be honest with ourselves that some of this work is going to fail.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so important also not to compare your prototype with somebody else's completed finished sold a million copy game. You know what I mean like you have to be aware that that other person who who sold a million games also had a million prototypes that were garbage and he had to throw them away. And to just stay encouraged, to not let the failure discourage you, but let the failure teach you, you know, to learn from the failure, to learn from uh, your own mistakes and your other, you know, other people's mistakes and all that, and just keep going, just keep designing, keep keep fighting, and uh, if you keep pursuing excellence, eventually you end up with something pretty good. Eventually you end up with something that Rotto says is uh, one of the best games of the year, like Mr. Luke Laurie here. Man, I really appreciate you being on the show. Appreciate your time. Uh, We're going to go into a bonus round here in just a second. You want to check out the bonus Uh round? Go to BoardGameDesignLab.com. It's full of resources and all sorts of really cool stuff for game designers. So, Luke, thank you you so much for being on the show, and I look forward to talking to you again
1: soon. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it, and uh, look forward to seeing more of what you produce. Appreciate that. All right. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening. Find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?